Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to The Mom Hour. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 418 of The Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Megan. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, man, May is a busy month uh, for everyone, and I'm getting married <laughs> in a week. In a week, as this, as listeners hear this. OMG. Yes. I will, yes, yeah, so a week from yesterday, I will be hitched. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But that's not what we're talking about today. Sure isn't. Because um, even, sure after, even after these nuptials, there will be no baby having. There absolutely will be no baby. Um, but that so that having no more babies is what we're talking about. Last week, we did a listener questions episode. And usually we do back to back listener questions episodes. But we had one question in particular that felt like a big one. Um, it felt too big for either of us to adequately address in you know, the 10 or 15 minutes that we could in a typical listener questions episode, we thought, man, I think this question, it, it, it's its own episode, really. It is. And um, we kind of joke sometimes that one of the most common questions we get is, should I or should I not have a third kid? And, you know, you are all laughing out there because you've probably sent us that question or seen it in the Facebook group. This is different. I'm going to read Sarah's. It came from a listener, Sarah. I'm going to read it in a minute here, but this is really like something that most moms will face at some point, which is coming to terms with not having any more babies. Um, so it's a little twist on, on a classic that we get a lot. Um, and I think will be interesting to dive into. And I think this is a question that is truly 100% universal because no matter how your path to becoming a mom and no matter how many kids you want to have, or do have, if you are a mom, by definition, there will be a time when you are no longer adding more people to your family, <laughs> yes. like no matter what. So everybody, even if they don't feel like it'll be any kind of a sad or conflicted feeling, like everyone faces this eventuality who is a mother. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to read Sarah's question now. So she says, hi, Megan and Sarah. I'm 37 and have three wonderful kids ages five, nine and nearly 12. And I'm struggling with closing the door on having more kids and being a little kid mom. I feel like so much of my personal identity has been based on being a little kid mom, long-term breastfeeding, and being in sync with my little ones. I find that I spend more time being nostalgic about this than my husband or others around me do. And I'm even sometimes really deeply sad that a chapter of my life is closing. 
So my question is, how can one cope with passing on to a new stage, learn to embrace it, and best enjoy the present moments with growing children who are more independent when it all feels sometimes sad and empty inside? Does it get easier seeing babies and little children and knowing your turn has passed? Sincerely, Sarah. Oh, Sarah, that question actually made me tear up a little bit and I'm like way out. Um, not because I'm sad though. Yeah. <laughs> I just so identify with that feeling. Um, also, you know, I had a lot of little kids, long-term breastfeeder, had such a period of my life when that was my identity. Um, and I was a relatively young mom, like a very young mom for the first couple, but even with the younger three relatively young. And that also had sort of a, a bit of a, like, I don't want to say cachet. That's the wrong word, but there was like an identity wrapped up with being a young mom of young kids. Yeah. We've talked about this yeah. on the show before. It's like a, um, I always think of it as like a stripe on your belt or like a, yeah. a little, like a badge on the, like the, like an actual scout badge or something like, look yeah. at me doing this thing of, and, and it could be that you're young and you've got little kids and you're working full time. It's like a weird ego wrapped up in um, the accomplishment of doing that thing. And yeah, and maybe even doing something that's a little bit counter to what your friends at that time are doing. So, um, you know, Sarah is 37 and has a 12 year old. So she would have been 25 when she had her oldest. So that's like, you know, that's often different from what your friends around you are doing. And it, it does create this like, this feeling of like, I'm part of this little club mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. All of those things. So interestingly, when, when I read this question, I did the mental math and realized that I had my hysterectomy 10 years ago, this like next month. Wow. So like 10 years ago in early June, it was, I think it was June 4th. I still get an email. <laughs> I signed up for like a website and they send me an email every year on my, or on my hyster Histerversary, I believe they call it. Oh um, and that was something that came about pretty quickly. Um, like it, I didn't know that was going to be something that I had to do. And then I did. So it wasn't like, I didn't have a lot of time to sort of absorb that. And Clara was just, had just turned four. So kind of similar, like my kids were already getting older. And what really struck me about, um, Sarah's question is she said, you know, how can one cope with passing onto a new stage? And it's funny because like Sarah, I was already in that stage. Like I was already out of the baby stage, but I hadn't quite like, I had not caught up. Yeah. My, yeah, my identity had not caught up with my reality yet because I still felt like a young mom of little kids. And I was still a youngish mom of kind of little kids, but I also had teenagers and, and 12, you know, I think someone must've been 12 at that yeah. point. Someone's I don't always know. 12. Someone's always 12. I have a 12 year old right, right now. Literally, okay. <laughs> probably someone's always 12. <laughs> right. Um, and so I guess I would just say in our conversation today, and Sarah, I think we're just going to have kind of a free form conversation about what this has looked like for us, how we've personally dealt with it, how, how we've seen people around us deal with it, how it evolves. I would just say that um, 10 years ago, I had big feelings about this. And I still have feelings about it, but through like a very, like a misty veil of nostalgia and the softening of the edges and the forgetting, but then the remembering, like, you know how things just change yeah. over time. I've been there solidly for five years. 
Can I ask you a question about that? Well, first of all, if listeners don't know, you had a hysterectomy because. So I had early stage cervical cancer. So like I, there was no not getting it. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, I have crappy periods. It wasn't a birth control method either. It wasn't. No. That, yeah. Right. And, um, and so it was fast. I think from the time I got the diagnosis to the time I was getting surgery was six weeks, maybe. Huh. Um, now granted, I did not want more kids at that stage, but I kind of did though. Yeah. But I was just going to say, so that's the nature of my question was, yeah. um, if you put yourself back in the, let's say post hysterectomy, cause I know there's a lot of feelings going into a major yeah. surgery and, and I think we've talked about that, but let's say you're recovered. This is now totally behind you. How much of the mourning or the grief or the um, just that discomfort of ju- adjusting to this new reality, how much of it would you say was actually about an imaginary sixth baby versus like what I'm picturing is like the slow march of time moves on and the existing kids are getting so big. And Sarah mentions yeah. in her email, like they're, they don't need you as much. They're more independent. Um, there's an identity about being needed. And so was it both for you? Was there, was that imaginary sixth baby uh, something you had to mourn or was the hysterectomy kind of a coincidence in the phase where you would have been mourning the slow march of time anyway? So it's kind of a hard question to answer because here's what I'll say. I, in, in my practical, logical mind, I did not want more kids. There was no plans for a sixth. I didn't have any like oh, my family would be complete if I had a sixth baby. Nothing like that. It was never, I never even fantasized. Like I always grew up thinking I'd have four or five. Six was never on the table. Like it was never a number that I wanted. I wanted to almost just keep going back and doing it again. Like I wanted to just keep having the fourth and the fifth, you know, uh-huh. like the third, fourth and fifth over again. I think it was, it was more like, I think it was much more the, the passage of time thing. Yeah. Like the not being able to stay in that baby toddler stage, knowing I would have to move forward. That was what was really hard. It really wasn't about having a sixth kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it, when I look back now, I think, man, had I not had that hysterectomy, the chances of me getting through the rest of my thirties without having a sixth kid, very small, <laughs> very, You're, very you, small. You've gone on record to say that you, many of your pregnancies were happy accidents. Would you say that's they were, they were all accidents that wound up happy in the end. Um, well, many of them. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm a fertile, I was, I was a fertile Myrtle. Uh Um, so sometimes that, you know, that's wonderful and also challenging at times. And the chances of me having made it like, I'm, you know, I know I'm still producing eggs now and I'm 45. So like the chances of me having made it 10 more years without one of those eggs resulting. I just can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. That said, and even at the time, I remember feeling like this is the best thing that could happen to me. Like this is taking the choice out of my emotional and sometimes impulsive hands and I won't be able to do this to myself again. So yeah. that's probably in this situation, not a bad thing. Um, but, but all that said, like, I can say all that logically. It was, it, you know, it meant I was able to shift my focus to new things. It meant I was able to, there was a lot of good things about, obviously, 
limiting my family size um, or having it limited for me, yet it was still sad. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take away from the morning piece of it. Right. It just takes away the option to do something rather declarative about right. the morning exactly. in one direction or another. Um, exactly. Not that you had no agency, of course, but you weren't going to solve the discomfort with a pregnancy. Exactly. That, that was off the table. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code themomhour15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, well, this um, the 10-year anniversary of your hysterectomy is kind of tripping me out because I was just doing the math. I don't think of us as being on the same baby-making time calendar because your kids are older. You started well before me and then I finished after you. But my youngest child turned 10 in January. We're recording this in May. So a few months ago and we felt very done and chose to have a vasectomy for Brian. And I don't know when it happened. I'm going to say that summer, but it was like it was like or maybe a year. So it's probably not quite 10 years, but I'm also coming up soon in the next six to 12 months on 10 years of not having a pregnancy or a surprise pregnancy be very likely at all, if right. if even biologically possible. Um, that's another big decision. And that was one that was fairly easy for us to make. Um, I have said before on the show, I think I'm in the minority at how 
done I felt with having more pregnancies and babies. Now I will say being done being pregnant and having new babies is very different from mourning kids getting older and not needing you as much. Those to me feel like two totally different things. And as we move through this, I'll talk about that kind of that grief and mourning that happens as kids get older. But I was very, I felt very clear about being done after three fairly close together pregnancies and healthy deliveries and healthy babies. And we chose to go the vasectomy route. So that has also been about 10 years. Yeah. Um, Wow. But then I would have been with Violet is a full four years younger than Clara. So I was in the little kid land for much longer than you. And really, like, I think it's probably pretty universal, maybe not universal. I think it's common to think of four or five years old as your youngest as being those waning baby days. That's what the email from Sarah, she says her youngest is five. You talked about Clara being four. I just think there's something about that last baby being so clearly not a baby anymore, whether they're four or five or six, that um, does initiate some of these big feelings. And that's, you know, that's years after a vasectomy or a decision not to have more. Well, and I wonder too, if for you, it made it a little easier in a way, like I could, you know how they'll, there's always the jokes about, um, women wanting <laughs> their spouse to get a vasectomy when the, the baby's like firstborn. Cause they remember, you know, right. you remember all of that, that hard stuff. You're still so in it. You're kind of over it, but three, four, five, you can have a very fuzzy memory, a very golden tinged memory of what those baby and toddler years were like. Once you're just on the other side of them yeah. and you're starting to see like the chub on their cheeks disappear by the day and all of that stuff, like all that baby stuff go away. It almost, I feel like it feels harder than in some ways to make that call because, um, Mm, you, you can kind of delude yourself a it little is bit confusing. And I think that's yeah. what comes through in Sarah's email as well is it's, am I, do I, am I wanting another baby? Am I sad about this baby getting older? Do I not have like purpose or direction in other areas of right. my life? Which is, I, I mean, I say that flippantly, but it, it, it really is like, what is my identity? What is actually, yeah, the, these, that's the reason we can talk about this over and over again. I think another interesting milestone that comes up when these feelings crop up is when the distance between your youngest child and a hypothetical next child gets bigger and bigger and bigger relative to other distances between your kids. So for you, Megan, you have some kids who are like two years apart and you have some kids who are like four years apart in our listener, Sarah's email. She's got what? 12, nine and five. So her nine and five are already four years apart, right? Right. She knows what that looks like when the last baby is now older than any distance you have between other siblings, you kind of lose the ability to be like, or not you, 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 it gets harder to imagine what that next sibling would be like. Um, Katie and our team, her youngest just turned three. And she said, I've never had a three-year-old who wasn't already an older sibling or about to be an older sibling or, you know, anticipating that. And I so remember that as well. Like, whoa, I've got a four-year-old with nobody coming up behind. And that's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. I am. I alluded to the fact that this has gotten a lot easier for me over the years, going from like pretty raw, pretty tender, you know, in the first year or so to now, like the idea that I would ever want to have another baby is so laughable. Um, (laughs) like I, I did have, well, I want to talk about dreams because I think that's a way that sometimes these like latent feelings can come out. I did have when 
Eric and I first started dating seriously, I had several dreams where I got pregnant. And I've kind of chalked that up to like the solidification of a new relationship and like the family around that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think either Eric or I like we both missed the baby years. We'll, we'll be very honest about that. We will see a toddler while we're out. We're both kind of like, oh, remember that? And, um, you know, you regret the yeah. things you missed about it and all those feelings that you get when that you have when you get older. But neither one of us would actually like if we could go out right now and <laughs> I don't know, do some kind of get a surrogate magic. or something like some kind of magic. We wouldn't do it like there were more. We moved on. Yep. But I try to think about was there an age? At, was it like a gradual softening or was there sort of like a stage or an age or a distance from the youngest or something or the hysterectomy or whatever when suddenly it just felt easier? Um, I think for me, honestly, the fact that I got a divorce really kind of skews it because I was thinking about anything but baby making at Sarah that point. Was seven. She was seven. Yeah. Separated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and seven is that like cusp of big kid mm-hmm. age two. Mm-hmm. So probably that was the stage at which I was thinking about at least. Um, but I would say like a couple years in, like when she was in, like when she was six, I think I had eased into what it meant to have bigger kids. Like everyone was in school. Um, my first, her first year of kindergarten or her first year of kindergarten, she only did one year of kindergarten, but <laughs> the, first few months, the first few months of kindergarten, I floundered a little bit and we started the mom hour, the second half of kindergarten. Like it was yep. that spring. Um, I, I didn't know how to be a mom of all school aged kids who were in school all day. Like I didn't really know how to do that. That took some time, but then I would, I would say by the time she was like six, the not having babies and toddlers thing felt a lot easier. And by seven or eight, it was like kind of off in the background is not even a thing that I was thinking about anymore. I'm curious how that looked for you. Yeah. Um, I think having the youngest so bonded to me, Violet was so such a mama's child. Um, it was like having a baby, even though they weren't yes, a baby anymore. I, yeah. I think there's probably a lot of cases where that's the case because we probably cling a little bit as moms. Um, so I didn't experience the sadness in the same way that you describe and listener Sarah describes. I actually experienced sadness at the other end more, which is my big kids getting bigger. My youngest staying young felt like it continued for a long time. I mean, into that six or seven, eight, She's 10 now. Um, we've joked about how like you'll you'll make them the baby and you're the baby of a of a large family, Megan. So it's like we sort of in as many ways that we can and not be completely psychotic, we we hang on to that like cuddly babiness. And I'm I'm still in it in some ways at 10. You know, I'll notice that she doesn't want me to hold her hand in the school parking lot as a fourth grader. Um, and every once in a while, it's not sad, but I'm like, Oh, right. Like literally no one wants me to hold their hand for so long. Even though you're done having babies, someone will hold your hand in the school parking lot for a very long time. Um, so moving beyond that is a real, like, Oh, I can't even pretend that this little person is my little person. You know, they are their own, totally their own person. But, um, 
I don't know if that answered that, but I think it's been gradual. And I also just think I didn't experience the sadness at that end as much as I have experienced the sadness or the um, like shift in coming around to having teenagers is actually been more of a growing pain for me than letting go of the baby years. So I think that's different. I think you and I are different in that way. Well, and I also think having a few, like having two more kids extended the baby toddlers preschool stage long enough that the, the teenager stuff was happening concurrent. Yeah. Concurrent. And so I, I, the first couple of teenagers, it was like, Ooh, this is novel. This is fun. But I didn't feel that like it didn't feel the same way it does for Clara and Owen. Now it truly feels like I pushed the rock, the ball, whatever, the boulder to the top of the hill. And it's coming down the other side and picking up steam. Like I when I look at how things are changing and how quickly and every year it seems like I lose a kid out of the house and like or someone something changes like every couple of years now in a major way. And uh, and I talked about this like. um vacationing with two teenagers with no little kid who just wants to hang with mom yeah. or um, what it's like to know that there's no, like you said, there's no little one who cares that much yeah. about what I think or who wants to be around me all the time. And when all the, when there was a bunch of kids in the house who were off doing their own thing, but I still had one or two yeah. who were my barnacles, it felt very different than now. None of them. They're all detached barnacles. Well, I'm, Wait. I'm fascinated actually by this difference in our family setups because I've never thought about it this way, but you, because you have five and because of the spread, you're right. Like you, the ache of teenagers pulling away, which is a real deal, a real thing. Um, you still had littles the first couple of times that you experienced that, which is, it just makes it, it's just different, um, to have teenage, to have children that you cradled pull away from you as, as clearly as teenagers have to do and to not have anybody at the other end is a different kind of, and that makes sense. It makes sense why I associate mourning and, and grief and sadness and loss of identity more with the olders getting older than I do, um, not having more littles, but you kind of yours overlapped, which just makes our experiences very different. Yeah, it really does. And I, I also think that, um, there is something about being so close to the end of having minor children now mm-hmm. where I almost have to like remind myself that I've still got some years to go. Yeah. Like I can't just, I know I've been doing this a long time. I've been a mom for 25 years, but now is not the time for me to like start phoning it in. Yep. <laughs> There's like important work to be done, but I'm so close to what's on the other side. And that's exciting. Like I love new beginnings and I love like new stages and, and fantasizing about what that's going to look like and trying to start laying some plans. And of course we're doing all that. And I have a new partner and I'm, you know, very soon a new husband and like all the things that we want to do. I mean, there's just a lot going on and I have to kind of remind myself sometimes like job's not done yet. Like I still have, I'm still putting in some time partly because I have been at it for so long. I've had teenagers for 12 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I've been just in this phase for a long time of my life in all the ways. Yes. So I mentioned, um, the very specific feeling of Violet, not wanting to hold my hand in the parking lot, which has definitely been the most recent thing I can think of. That is that like, oof, okay, right. There's like, 
here we are. Is there anything today that happens today that triggers a kind of sense of loss or grief or mourning or just nostalgia for you? I, a lot. You know, now that I have so many kids who have been through so many stages and are on all on the other side of anything other than teenager, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of everything is a little triggery, but I don't mean that necessarily bad. I'm not walking around like weeping all the time or yeah. inconsolable, um, but it can be like the littlest thing. So anytime I see a cute, chubby little toddler, like giggling and laughing and running away from their parents or something, I have a little, oh, I remember those. Everybody does that. Like, it's so like the grandma going, oh, I remember those years. You know, like you almost can't help yourself because you do. You remember those years. You yeah. remember what that was like. That's not particularly triggering. It's just I remember those years. I will say when I see a mom who reminds me of myself, like 15, mm. you know, 10, 15 years ago with like maybe the baby on the hip and another one on, you know, holding their hand and they kind of look like casual about it. I think I always kind of came off that way. It's just like, I've got this under control. Yeah, yeah. This is cashy. I'm just going to sit here and chat. Um, and you've got a, a little one with your hand all round up in your hair. And you know, I just, that was me for so long that I'll look at those moms and, and not only do I feel like, Oh, I remember what it was like to have those little ones, but I'll be like, man, I was really young. <laughs> and I'll yeah. be like, I remember what it was like to be really young and I'm not anymore. And that's, I'll, that's as weird. Um, not really sad, just weird. It's like, it's really kind of weird not to be 32 anymore and be that young mom. Um, but sometimes there's other things like, again, I was watching, um, Ted Lasso last night and it, there was a scene where, uh, Ted's son, who I think is like, I want to say 10, yeah, nine nine or or 10, is visiting him and they're like snuggled up in bed together reading a book and there's having a very sweet conversation and the, and the, the child actor that plays his son is very sweet and endearing and reminds me a smidge of Owen yeah, at that age. That. Mm-hmm. And I just, I kind of had this pang like, Oh man, Owen at 10 was the best. So sweet. And now like Owen and I, we get along great, but we had a very, we had like two kind of rough years yeah. in the middle there where we clashed a lot. And it's not the same now. He's 17. Like we have a new relationship. Yes. It's a great new relationship, but it is not like that relationship. And that will never come back. And that's, it's like, I miss, I don't miss just like any old 10 year old. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even really have ever said, I thought that was my favorite stage. Um, but Owen at 10 was like my favorite. So like I had a very specific memory in that case, it was more about the specific kid and missing the specific kid at that specific stage and not like I miss being that mom. So both, I guess. As you're talking, I'm wondering, do you, does looking at old photos and videos ever, is it ever too much for you Um, of your own kids? Uh, No. Or do you love it? I love it. Um, I I can't think, I can't think of a time where I've been like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't think of that. That's not to say it's never happened though. And maybe I, maybe I power through and really there's some little ding ding going off in the back of my brain. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think you're, you're pretty but. good at like recognizing your emotions. So I would, I would think, um, I have gone through different in different seasons of life, depending on how, uh, tender the experience of kids getting older feels. It can be very hard for me to videos, especially for some reason, photos, a little less so. Um, 
but I, it's almost painful. And so as we started this and I was like, I don't think I'm triggered. Like when I see people with little kids or babies, I don't feel that pang of nostalgia. I really don't. And I almost never have. So I might be kind of a weirdo in that way, but, um, videos of my own kids younger can feel deeply sad to me. And I think it's uh, some of it is, I wonder, did I appreciate it? Did I, was I like hung up on some, was I, I was like anxious about something else in that stage. Of course you were. Of That's course so you were dumb, about, you know, and I'm like almost <laughs> mad at the mom yeah. who was all hung up about whatever it was when my kids were six, four and two. And I don't necessarily want to go back, but I can't explain the feeling other than sadness. And, yeah. you know, my teenagers look very different than they used to, um, including one who goes by a different name. And there's a bunch of um, grief. It's, it's more like confusion around how to feel about that nostalgia. And I, you know, that's something that I'm not probably going to talk a lot about here and now, but it is, it complicates the way I feel about looking back, but I can extend that. You don't have to have a trans kid or a kid with gender identity stuff going on to look back at pictures and be like, but I didn't know about I didn't know anything then. I didn't know about these people they were going to become, even when the people in front of you are your favorite people in the entire world. There's something very, um, have not heavy. I'm making it sound more negative. It's a, it's a deeply emotional experience for me to look at old videos of my kids. So I also feel like it's a deeply emotional experience. I guess I wouldn't identify it as, I wouldn't say it's too much. That was the part of, you know, it, it is, it does hurt. There is, a pang there. You miss that person that does not exist anymore. They do. They still do, but they're like a different version of that person. Um, you know, all of your, your kids' bone structure changes, their faces are different. Like their freckles go away or like there's, you know, their little cheeks get thinner. Um, their limbs get long, like whatever it is, is gone and it's not coming back. And that can be really hard. That can be really hard to see in a three-dimensional moving picture. I think for me, it's the little voices. Yep. And I will hear, you know, I don't have that many videos of my little kids because most of mine were little before smartphones. Yeah. So like the videos I have are, are grainy and not, not that many of them, but I have a few of the kids singing or, you know, just like I have one actually of Clara walking and she's in the picture in the, in the video. It was very cute. She's like, pushing one of those little shopping carts and walking and walking and squealing and having the best little time. And her voice is so cute. But then if you really listen, you can hear Owen in the background singing the Krusty Krab pizza song from SpongeBob. So he's just like the Krusty Krab pizza is the pizza for you and me. And if you don't pay attention, you don't hear it because it's just that was the background noise to my life. life. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I wasn't I probably was paying no attention. At that time, like I didn't appreciate how cute that was because it was just constant, constant noise. But when I listen to that now, I'm like, oh, like you said, did I, did I appreciate it? Was I paying attention? And no, I didn't. And I wasn't like, you can't be anything more than you were. Like we can't change the fact that raising little kids is really hard and it, it, requires us to shut down parts of our brains sometimes just to get through the day. Like, you know what I mean? Like 
we can now look back and go, oh, you know, savor every minute and know very well that when we were in that minute, we did not savor every minute. I just don't think we could. Yeah, I I agree. Um, And I also have experienced other times where looking back isn't quite as tender. And so I think yeah. that even this ebbs and flows, there was a time period, well, you would have called it my gravy years, where like my three little stair steps just kind of each got a little bit older you know, proportionally, that's how, that's how time works and chronology works. works. (laughs) But like, it didn't feel like we were, but pre pandemic, like it didn't feel like we were otherwise rocked by a huge shift in time season of life for probably five years, right? Like four, four or five years. And, um, in those years, it made me so happy to look at like, okay, last year, Santa photos, two years ago, Santa photos. I would, I did it a lot of like side by side of like, um, first day of school. And then this first day of school. And there were like, those were the gravy years where it felt like time was passing without an ache or without, um, an identity shift. And I guess I mentioned that because it's not all linear or equal. There are times where like, you're like, yeah, my kids are getting older and things are changing and I'm changing along with it. And it's all hunky dory. And then I feel like there are other times where this, what Sarah back to the listener question, what she's talking about, which is like really a, a deep sadness over things shifting and changing. So it's not like, it's not incremental one year at a time. I think it can come in big waves and surges. And not every milestone will feel the same. So you might have one kid go off to college, say, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, that's what they're supposed to do Yeah. or what they're, you know, they're moving on with their lives. Great. And then another one, it just hits whatever else is happening, um, whatever age the other kids are, whatever, just, it hits different. And that is definitely true for me. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Sarah, we're welcoming our sponsor, Element. That's spelled L-M-N-T, a zero sugar electrolyte drink that leans on current science about what our bodies really need in order to deliver the most effective hydration possible. You know, Sarah, Eric is really into keeping up with health research, and he's been insisting to me for years that we actually need more salt to stay hydrated. Turns out Element agrees because they've developed their product based on a growing body of research that shows that for optimal health outcomes, we actually need to be taking in sodium levels at two to three times government recommendations. 
That's a big difference. Yeah, it really is, Megan. And, you know, electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, and weakness. I know I can feel really rotten when I'm dehydrated. And also, I don't love the taste of plain water, so I'm not that great about drinking it. Element makes a huge difference in how much I'm enjoying my hydration and in how I feel, and it's super easy to fit it into my daily routine. My favorite flavor of Element is the grapefruit. But if that's not for you, we're going to get you set up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite Element flavor. Plus, Element has a no questions asked refund policy. You don't even have to send the product back to get your refund. Yeah, you can receive a free Element sample pack containing one packet of eight flavors. So you'll get eight total packets free with any order when you purchase through our custom URL. That's drinkelement.com slash momhour. D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and it's available for both new and returning customers. To get that offer, again, go to drinkelement.com slash momhour. All right, so... Reflecting back on the email we got from listener Sarah, I'm wondering, this is so hard to give like actionable advice about because I think what we've been saying is that, yes, it's really hard (laughs) and that everyone experiences the hard at different times and differently. But can you think of some ways, Megan, that it um, that you did embrace each new stage over time or sort of made peace with the sadness and kind of I think Sarah's asking us, how does she cope with the sadness and like enjoy, not miss out on this season of having a five, nine and 12 year old? Yeah. Um, Do you have advice for her? Well, I don't know that it's exactly advice, but here's some rambling thoughts and maybe you could help me shape this into something advice like. So one thing I would say, you know, we talk a lot about the muscle memory of motherhood Mm -hmm. and how we, we have this narrative, right, about what life is like. And I think it's very easy for us to get stuck in a narrative that describes how things have been. Um, And sometimes I feel like that's a double-edged sword and not even in a, sometimes double-edged sword sounds like a good thing. And in this case, both sides of the sword just hurt because like on the one side, you're, you're recognizing that things don't feel the same as they used to. So let's just say it's like, every Friday night, we're going to have a pajamas family movie night. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. But you're realizing that the kids aren't really into it anymore. So you're starting to mourn this because you're you're still trying to apply something old to a new situation while at the same time not stepping into what possibilities the new setup allows. Like maybe y'all go bowling. I don't know. That's like, you know, that's like over typifying something that's not really that tippy. But like truly looking at your life and being able, being willing to let go of things that aren't fun anymore, while also acknowledging that things that didn't used to be fun at all might suddenly be really fun, I think can actually go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think sometimes letting the stage of your oldest child be the initiation that you may or may not be ready for, you may or may not want, but at least there's novelty. Um, And this is obviously so dependent on the spacing and how many kids you have. But if I were Sarah and had a newly 12-year-old, there might be some things we could watch together on TV. There might be some travel or things that would open up with not having such little kids. So I, I think I'm echoing back what you're saying is don't forget to look behind or through the next 
doorways, even as you accept that there are some closing behind you, I guess, to yeah. be metaphorical yeah. about it. Um, I know we've said a lot already in this very episode that every mom experiences this differently, but I sometimes felt a little lonely when I would be mismatched around people who were either super excited about the stage they were in and I wasn't or vice versa. I remember people being so sad about their kids starting kindergarten, just like so um, really like heartbroken about the, and I was always like, oh my gosh, go to kindergarten. Even with the last kid, I'm like, get out. So I think giving yourself full permission to feel excited when you're excited about a phase and sad when you're sad about a phase and radical permission to feel however you feel. Sometimes I think we get stuck in feelings because we think we're not supposed to have them. And so yeah. then there's like a weird um, guilt. What you resist or, persists, exactly, as they say. Yes. Exactly. There's like a weird yeah. layer of guilt applied to just, it's just a feeling you're sad in yeah. this season. And, and I understand wanting to um, not lose out on embracing the present moment and all of that. I think that's good to be mindful of, but I hope sometimes it's just about just being like, yeah, it's just me. I'm quirky. I like oat milk in my coffee and I like to go to bed early and get up early. And I find this season of parenting really sad. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good point to make. And like, a really good, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Val like validation or allowance, like making allowances for yourself or just allowing for feelings to be what they are when they are. It doesn't have to make any sense to anybody else and you don't have to share anybody else's feelings yeah. about anything. So Megan, you touched on like the timing of your divorce and how that, that kind of muddies the waters for your experience a little bit, but can you look back and think of some things that were really amazing and fun and that, um, about, about stepping beyond the little kid years and maybe even that you really embraced when your youngest was no longer little. I mean, I have to say that a lot of the things that I learned to embrace were less about fun and more about my own convenience. Like what? <laughs> like I, re like I really leaned in on, um, older kids being able to stay with the younger so I could go to the grocery store, for example, or getting my kids to meaningfully help out with stuff around the house or getting my kids to, or like even just being able to enjoy conversation with them in a new way with all of them. It's been really fun to watch Clara's um, sense of humor develop and to see how her and Owen, who were always the babies of the family and sort of left out or like trying, like vying to keep up. Yeah. It's really fun to see now that they're the two kids left in the house, how, they've got their thing going on and it's become very mature. Like it's become very, their senses of humor are very sharp and the way they play off of each other is really fun to watch. So that's kind of like, that's now, right? Yeah. But that was starting to happen then. They were starting to kind of figure out their little identities yeah. in, in the family, um, like in the family dynamic and how that worked. And that was fun. That was yeah. fun to watch. But a lot of it was honestly, my life just getting a little easier. And I feel like, because of the number of kids I had, I was so ready, yeah. <laughs> so ready for that. By the time like Clara and Owen were both school age, just having time open up like that after not having had it for so long, uh, removed a lot of the sting, I guess, yeah. because it was like, man, I'm going to use this time if yeah. I can. No, I, I mean, I'm looking back and, um, like I really embraced 
traveling away from my kids as often as budget and co-parenting could allow. I mean, you and I went to a lot of conferences for work. I went to every, um, since I had babies before my kids, I was able to go to a lot of like fly out and help with a friend's new baby or fly to someone's baby shower or, um, go see a friend, just me for a weekend, go to 40th birthday parties. Like I, I traveled a lot. Brian and I did not travel quite as much together in those years. Cause we were still doing the thing where like somebody had, to, you know, we still had young ish kids. We're now entering the phase where like, it's not inconceivable that we could have a, you know, a, a somebody from school or something stay with the kids yeah. and we could go the together without even needing grandparents. I mean, Um, so I, I remember really embracing style and fashion and loving my clothes and putting together outfits. Um, I had kind of forgotten about that whole stage of my life. I was going to concerts all the time, traveling a lot. Like that was, it was kind of a short window, like maybe two years when they were all old enough to like stay with grandma easily. And I did it a lot. And I was also young enough that I had a lot of energy. Right. Yes. I mean, we were both like around 32, 33, like when we yeah. stopped having babies. So like mid thirties, yeah. Mid yeah. to late thirties. Um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, this business is in part a result of me having my last baby go into preschool, et cetera. You having all your kids in school. I mean, we were able to put a yeah. ton of time and energy into an entrepreneurial endeavor. I will say with our different, with our different personalities and backstories, you have been able to do that your entire career, but I wasn't, I wasn't mentally, emotionally, like childcare wise. I was not going to build a podcast business until my youngest was preschool age. It didn't, it didn't happen. And then it happened. And we, we put in a lot of ourselves into this business in the years where our kids were getting older. So I can think of a lot of ways that embracing the current season, it's not like I knew that's what I was doing at the time. It's not like I'm like, well, my kids are getting older. I'm going to put on more eyeliner every day. But like I was, I was getting up early. I started getting up earlier and reading more. I, you know, there's like a million ways now that I look back starting when my youngest was four or five years old that I really reclaimed a lot for myself. Um, and so there's that to look for. There really is that to look forward to. I did a lot of theater in those yes, years. You did. Oh um, my gosh. More than I would do now. Like I there was a sweet spot of time when my kids were mostly home in the evenings and and or I had like the ability to take them to the theater with me. So like there was a lot of reasons why it worked out for me to do a lot of shows in like a 3-year span. I don't think I would choose to do theater again right now. My life feels too full again in a way. And that's a teenage like uh, yes. rebound thing. Yeah. My life feels too busy and they, they need me in a different way at home. And it wouldn't be at this very moment of my life. It wouldn't be worth the trade-off, which yeah. isn't to say I wouldn't, you know, in a year or whatever, it just wouldn't be worth it right now. But like there was a little golden window where it all mm-hmm. just aligned and it was felt very possible. Yeah. So sometimes things like that just happen. I am curious, Sarah, and this is something you, you haven't quite, you're not quite there yet but I wonder if you feel it coming and I'm definitely there, but having a different relationship with it now than maybe even a year or two ago. And that is like the ability to reshape your family's life around um, one kid not being there anymore, two kids not being there anymore. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. 
And, and like the way you just answered that, the tone of your voice made it sound like you don't like that idea very well, much. No, but like- <laughs> I, it's like I, I sometimes, you know how I have trouble sometimes looking far ahead in the future. Yeah. I'm good at looking nine months or less into the future. Right, but, right. Um, so are you asking about like when one child is completely flown or just starting so, to see when they peel off? Because they even before they, they, when fly, they peel off, they do yes. peel off. So when they peel off, I actually think with my oldest two, I did not handle the peeling off very well. Like, I think that it upset me at first. And then I just kind of was resigned to it. So it was like, at first I tried to sort of force them to do all the stuff they didn't want to do with us anymore. Like, cause this is what we always do. And then I had a moment where I was like, oh wait, no, they're getting older. They're allowed to peel off. Then I just sort of let them float away. So like, I, I now look at it like with Will, um, I think I, I think I walked a better balance with him. It was like a lot of negotiating and a lot of, um, like, like cooperation is the wrong word, but like just the two of us working together, um, and to help him feel, but he was also very motivated. He really likes family time. He really likes quality time. He really values knowing what's expected of him so he can just meet that expectation, you know? So like, he was an easy kid to kind of practice it on. Whereas yeah. Jake and Isaac were a little more like passive about it. Like Isaac would kind of be around when he was around, but he would want to hide in his room and play his guitar. And Jacob was so social. He was just gone all the time. Yeah. And so like, I think I was sad about it and like irritated about it. And I just didn't really know what to do about it. Yeah. And what I'm trying to do now is accept and embrace the fact that now I'm basically a mom of two minor children and some flown kids who aren't there anymore. Like I can't think of them as part of the daily, like the day-to-day stuff. Cause they're not, yeah. and it's not fair to anybody to try to keep them looped in like that. Yeah. And it also makes me say to myself sometimes, like I've still got time with Clara. Like I don't yeah. have to panic as things change. Cause I've, there's going to be years where it's just going to be she and I under the, under this roof yeah. together. Well, and Eric now, but like it's, I got time with her. And it's normal for her to pull away. So I don't need to feel like because at 14, she's not that jazzed about hanging out with me that she won't be at 16. Like I know I've seen it now enough times how they pull away and then spring back that I can have faith that it'll happen, but it's going to happen inside a totally different family structure than it happened for Owen or Will or Jake or Isaac. I don't think so. I've seen a lot of people. This sounds like I'm setting you up for a book or article idea, but I actually, this is a real comment. I don't think I've seen a lot of people talking or writing about this like reverse transition. Like, you know, you add babies one, two, three, four, five, but then like they drop off sequentially. And it's, yes, it's a, it's a, it's hard to find words that don't all sound negative. Cause actually what's happening is they are launching into becoming full humans of their own. And that's a good thing. That's what we want for our kids. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like people are, talking very much about the fact that it doesn't just all happen like overnight. It's actually a gradual process as is the process of growing your family. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that's been on my mind and it and also like the, some of the family dynamics I fretted over, they're all temporary. That's another yeah. thing. Like every day, di- like the family that you have right now, I don't want to say it's temporary in that they won't be your family forever. Of course they will. But the makeup, everything about your family yep. today is like a snapshot in time. Yep. And what it will be later will also be wonderful. And you can't hold on to what you have right now 
without, like you can't get there to the new wonderful thing without letting go of what you have right now. Um, I hate that that's true. (laughs) I know. But it kind of, like when you allow that it's impermanent, it's like you can just, you can enjoy it in the moment or or sometimes give yourself a break for not enjoying it in the moment because yeah. mm-hmm. it's all impermanent anyway. It doesn't matter how much you appreciate it. It doesn't matter how present you are. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, it really, either way it's going to pass, mm-hmm. whether you appreciate it or not. Like it's not going to be anymore tomorrow, even like tomorrow, your family's a little different than today. So that probably sounds really defeatist. I actually think it's, kind of the opposite Mm -hmm. because it kind of gives us a little bit it gives us a break it's like meditation you can you can like float away from it and come back to it it's never too late to reconnect you know what I mean yes and I actually think it brings it brings us right back to the the age-old question of am I even done and do I actually want another baby I don't think is what Sarah wrote to us her her family I think is largely complete but what you're saying even if you did decide to add a caboose, a third baby, a fourth baby, a fifth baby, a sixth baby. Like we said in the beginning, that does not, there's no more homeostasis. There's no more fixedness to the seasons of parenting by adding that last babe. It's just shift. It's one more change in a family system that like you said, is always going to be changing. And it, it doesn't, it's not a free pass out of some of the complicated feelings that we have, right? Like that, that yeah. the last baby is not like a get out of jail free card for, um, feeling those feelings. I do have to say, Sarah, um, that I don't even know if I've mentioned this on the show, but Eric is going to be a grandfather. I knew this. I can't remember. If I don't know that we've mentioned it, it. On the- you know, when we weren't engaged yet, I felt very disconnected from this little baby. Like I would just be like the cool grandpa's cool girlfriend. So for those just who's catching like up, so youthful. You, you're, you and Eric are getting married. <laughs> Eric has yeah. young adult children, as do you. And his sons, you know, I always have to give the brass tax. So this yes. is his son is a young married young man. And yes. they are having their first baby. So now that you're getting hit in July, like a grandchild adjacent baby, it's like a step grandbaby. And there's something about that that feels very different than just being, I don't know why it feels different. Yeah. Well, functionally, it would have been exactly the same, but because I would have still been around, you know what I mean? Like it would, it's not going to change anything, but it feels like it gives me a different role in a way. Um, and I'm actually really, I think I may be more excited than I think, you know, being called a grandpa when you're as young as he is, I think doesn't feel great to him. Um, but like, I do really look forward to being able to develop a relationship with a baby that is not mine. Mm-hmm. I've had friends who've had babies. I have, you know, a new baby niece and a young nephew, but they live far away. I have friends who have babies that I just don't see very often. Um, it's different. Like, it's just, it, it feels nice to have that to look forward to, like an ongoing role yeah. with a new kid that I don't actually have to stay up all night with unless I choose to babysit. It's a very different feeling. And so that's another thing that eventually Sarah and everybody else may have to look forward to. Absolutely. And for what it's worth, Megan, my kids have a grandparent who is, is um, on paper, the exact same relationship as you are, meaning their biological 
grandpa was already married to this person. Um, so it's, it's my husband's stepmom, but the, to my kids, it like, it's absolutely an equal footing grandparent. If that, mm. if that means anything to you, I know every family is different, but like yeah. we as adults understand the sort of step situation, but depending on how you all form your extended family bonds, like yeah. for my kids, Grams is Grams. Like it, they, they know that she's not Brian's mom, but it's like they she's been in their life since the very beginning. They were born. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's another thing where five years ago I would have been like, are you kidding me? Being a grandparent does not, does not interest me whatsoever. But now because of how everything else in my life has shifted and how close my actual children are to like the school finish line and all that, I'm like, oh, okay, no, this makes sense. Yeah. So there you go. Well, this was a, a good, um, full circle right there, huh? <laughs> a good full circle and a, a good deep dive into, yeah, it feels like something that comes up a lot, but we probably don't get into it at this level very often. So yeah, Sarah, thank you for sending in the question and all of the kind of nuance that you let us dig into this with, um, don't think we solved anything, but maybe, maybe we validated, but maybe we validated and that's, that's, that's that counts for something. It's not nothing as they say. It's not for nothing. Um, we will be back with everybody a week from today, next Tuesday with an all new episode. And Megan, this was great. This was great. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the mom hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at the And Hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it. If you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at the mom hour chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get The Essential Calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.